should not perish, but have everlasting life. Welcome to another broadcast of the Bible Institute of the Air's radio ministry with Dr. F. Kenton B. Shore, pastor, author, and Bible teacher. Through the years, the Bible Institute of the Air has faithfully given practical instruction from the book of books, the Bible. And now to bring you God's answers for life's problems, here is the director of the Bible Institute of the Air and your Bible teacher, Dr. F. Kenton B. Shore. And greetings to you, my dear friend, in Jesus' wonderful name. We're so glad you're with us today. Today is an exciting day. It's question day. And we're going to try to answer the questions that each of our listeners has sent in. And here is my wife, Lois, with the very first question. All right, sweetheart. Before I ask the first question, I'd like to say thank you for making Friday such an exciting day for all of us. Ken and I enjoy them, and we're so glad for the response that you've made. But have you written and asked a question? Many times I'll meet you and you say, No, I really enjoy question day, Lois, but I haven't sent in my question yet. So be sure to do it now, won't you? This first question says, Dear Dr. B. and Lois, If I may say so, I'm crazy about the Bible Institute News of the Air. It has become a part of my life, and I praise God for the clear teaching of the Word of God. Use my love gift for the Jews on your radio station in Lebanon. My question is concerning the devil or Satan. Before we get to this question, our listener mentioned that she's crazy about the Bible Institute news. Now, I know that that word crazy is used advisedly there, but we do put out an eight-page newspaper each month. And this month, our paper has a feature about station WRD, the Voice of Hope, in Lebanon, over which we broadcast each week, and we want you to have that newspaper. Now, we'll send it to you each month if you will write and simply request the Bible Institute news. Why don't you give them the address and then go on with the question, sweetheart? All right. We're looking forward to you writing it to the Bible Institute of the Air, Post Office Box 5000, 5000, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. Okay, the first question. First, I know Satan is an accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12.10. Just how much access does Satan have in the area of heaven before the war in heaven takes place between the good led by Michael and the evil led by Satan? Can angels kill angels in the war in heaven? And can the angels and UFOs have anything in common? Please send me the Bible Institute news. I misplaced my issue. <laughs> All right. Now, this is a, a very difficult question. And uh, often... Well, that's not a problem for you, is it, Ken? <laughs> often I say, if I talk more than five minutes about angels, I'm going to tell you more than I know. <laughs> How can you say that after living with one for 36 years? Well, there you are. That's a different <laughs> thing. <laughs> now, the first part of this question is, how much access does Satan have in the area of heaven before war in heaven. 
Well, the very passage that our writer quotes tells us in Revelation 12.10, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accuseth them day and night before our God. Satan has constant access to heaven until the middle of the tribulation when Satan casts him out. The moment you or I sin, Satan goes as a tattletale there to heaven and tells on us. So he has constant access to heaven. Job 1 and 2 also bears this out. Now the next part of our question, the listener asks, can angels kill angels in the war in heaven? I see no place where angels kill other angels. One group of angels overcomes the other group of angels, and the good angels overcome the bad angels, and angels cannot be killed as such. They are cast then into the pit of the abyss. Then can the angels and UFOs have anything in common? Now, the word UFO stands for unidentified flying objects. And remember, Ezekiel saw angelic hosts. He saw Satan's great throne. And it is entirely possible that the UFOs that some have seen may be some manifestations of angels. But I would be very careful about being dogmatic in an area like that, because that's something that Scripture is entirely silent on, and where Scripture is silent, F. Kenton B. Shore is also going to be silent. I'll tell you that. All right, honey, next question. That's a good rule to follow, isn't it, Ken? It certainly is. Springfield, Oregon. Dear Sir, as a Christian, I was very impressed with your radio program. I cheered you on as you stated the Bible is the only answer, and we find our answers in the Bible or statements to that effect. Wherever you ask a question, you went to the Bible to answer it. Why, when you came to the being born again to enter the kingdom of God and become his child, did you leave the Bible? Read John 3, 3 through 6. You said all you had to do is accept Christ as your personal Savior and you become a child of God. What happened to the rebirth in John 3, 3? Or born of the Spirit and born of water baptism? Mark 16, 16 and Acts 1, 5. Acts 22, 16 and John 3, 3. Cannot enter the kingdom of God without born again of Spirit and of water baptism. Well, let me say very clearly to the answer to my brother's question, or a writer's question, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but this passage in John chapter 3 surely does not talk about water baptism. Now let's look at it very carefully. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except one be born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I have absolutely no part in my new birth. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except one be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. I cannot be born of the Spirit. There is nothing I can do 
to make myself be born of the Spirit. You see, that is God's work. Now, remember, when Jesus died on the cross, he did everything that needs to be done for salvation. I cannot, I cannot really even repent except the Spirit of God leads me through repentance. Now, by an act of the will, I can believe in the Lord Jesus, but that believing does not make me born again. It is Jesus' work on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he performed redemption completely. There is nothing I can do in order to be born again. Now, here is the work that Jesus performed on the cross. And when I believe that work that Jesus did on the cross becomes available to me, and he gives me the birth from above, the new birth, and he lets me be born of the Spirit. And it is all of God, not of myself. But what about John 3, verse 5? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except one be born of water and the Spirit. The word and in the Greek is the little Greek word chi, kappa, alpha, iota, K-A-I. It may also be translated even as it is in Luke 10, 17. Listen carefully to Luke 10, 17. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. Now, the word even is that same Greek word chi. Now, let me translate John 3, 5 that way. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except one be born of water, even the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, when water is used symbolically in the Gospel of John, it always refers to the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus said in verse 14, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up into eternal, of li into eternal life. Now, Jesus there is using the term water referring to the Holy Spirit. John 4.10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water, that is, the Holy Spirit. Now look at John 7, verse 37. John 7, 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, from within him, shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believed on him were to receive, 
for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in John chapter 3, verse 5, when Jesus uses the term water, he is not referring to water baptism. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except one be born of water, even the Spirit. He is talking about being born of the Spirit. Now, one does not have to be baptized in water to be saved. So to say that one has to be baptized in order to be saved is doing violence to the clear teachings of other scriptures, which means, which says like Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So remember, there is nothing that you can do to get salvation. Now, one more time, I am going to deal with this statement in the book of Acts, chapter 2, which our listener refers to. And uh, so many people hold to water baptism on the basis of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost from Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said unto them, Repent ye, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ under the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in our English version, I will grant you that that sounds as though repentance and water baptism are necessary in order to be born again. Now remember, repentance is simply the act of believing that allows Christ's work of salvation to come to you. Repentance means to change the thoughts, intents, and purposes of the heart or mind. So when a person believes he is repenting, but his believing does not save him. It is Christ's work on the cross that saves him, and his believing simply allows the finished work of Christ to be available to him. But the key to understanding Acts 2.38 is the word in. Peter said unto them, Repent ye, be baptized every one of you in. The little Greek word translated in there, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Greek word epi, which means upon. We talk about the epidermis, which is the skin that covers the derma. The epicenter of an earthquake is the sin, is the part of the earth over the earthquake, the top of the earthquake. So the word epi literally means upon. And what Peter is saying, repent ye, be baptized, every one of you, upon the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. It is not our repentance that saves us. It is not our baptism that saves us but it is the authority of the work and nature of the Lord Jesus himself. So it is absolutely important that we remember that there is no work that we can perform whereby we are saved. 
it is all of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, sweetheart. These next questions kind of go together, Ken, and I think it represents many questions that we've had along this line, so I'm not going to tell even the state where it's from, and you can see from the nature of the, the letter and the question why. I have a drinking problem, and the temptation comes when I get irritated, and I know the Bible says no drunkard will enter the kingdom of heaven. This worries and bothers me because I do want to go to heaven when I die, and I did accept the Lord when I was small. But where exactly does that put me if I die in a drunken stupor? And this letter is very different, but I think you can answer them both together in this way. Dear Dr. Bishore and Lois, in the last few months, I have been listening to your radio broadcast with much enthusiasm. You have especially helped me through some pretty gloomy days as a result of the death of my 19-year-old daughter. She was the joy of my life, and I am truly grateful the Lord gave her to me, if only for a few short years. She was such an inspiration to many because friendship and caring meant so much to her. While at college, she attended church on campus regularly and never appeared to be subject to peer pressures. She always felt that she could help someone who wasn't happy with their life and we always worried if she was wise enough to be even become involved. Unfortunately, a friend gave her a few drinks and she had a violent allergic reaction that cost her her life. What happens to Christians that don't always walk in the light of the Lord constantly and make a mistake like this? Are they no longer children of God? I've been so concerned about the way she died or mistakes she made that I've searched the scriptures for answers. Enclosed is a love gift, and I would like to continue sharing in your work for the Lord if it is not too late. But there are several messages and books you have spoken of that I would like to read. What happens when we die? Why do we suffer? And the chart of the tribulation period, and be a regular subscriber to your monthly news message. In closing, I would like to say that in my sorrow, I have been drawn even closer to the Lord. I've begun helping others find salvation and tell everyone about your Bible teachings. I pray for your lovely family and also need your prayers. Isn't that a sweet letter, Ken? Out of a broken heart. She wants to bless others, and I think that's a real blessing to each one of us. And I tell you, it brought tears to my eyes as I read it. Well, this is a very sweet letter, and I appreciate the concern of people like this. Let me read a passage of Scripture, and then I want you to listen very carefully as I read. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. And I want you to jot this down or get the cassette of this question and answer day because you may be able to help someone with these same questions. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now this person who wrote first of all said, I know the Bible says no drunkard shall enter in the kingdom of heaven. This worries me and bothers me because I do want to go to heaven when I die. And I did accept the Lord when I was small, but where exactly does this put me if I die in a drunken stupor? Well, from the passage 
up to now it puts you between a rock and a hard place. Now listen, who cannot inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators. Now the word fornicator there is the word pornea. We get the word pornography from that nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with men, homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it sounds like nobody's going to make it, but listen to this next verse. 1 Corinthians 6.11, And such were some of you, but ye were washed, ye were sanctified, ye were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of our God. Now, a person who is a drunkard can be born again. He may still have to fight that terrible habit. I know some people who, when they were saved, were delivered miraculously from alcoholism. I know others that fought and fought and fought that drinking habit. But let me say this. This goes back to what we said before. Anyone who receives the Lord Jesus as his Savior during his life will be in heaven. Now, David was a, an adulterer, and he'll be in heaven. Moses was a murderer, and will be in heaven. he'll be in heaven. Now, that does not give us you know, just a right to go and live any way we want to. If we get out of the will of God, we're going to lose our rewards, but we will not lose our salvation. And I hope that will help these two people and many others who write questions like this so very often. All right. What a blessing your radio ministry is to me. Your warm, sincere, Christ-like spirit has helped me through many an afternoon. A friend of my mother recently suffered a double tragedy. Her four-year-old retarded son died while her husband was on a fishing trip in Mexico. While returning to be at her side, the plane went down and her husband and four other men lost their lives. Please pray for her during this especially difficult time. Enclosed, find $5 to help with the expenses during these summer months. I hope to send more real soon. And then she asks for your cassette to help her friend. And you may our Lord bless you, your family, and is my prayer. And you know, can many people are sending these cassettes of the question and answer period, time, and the time of the newsletter to their friends in order that they might help others. And when we go through tragedies, and we have a very interesting book that Ken wrote, Is Your Life a Comedy or a Tragedy, that we're sending this dear one. And maybe you would like to receive this book, and I know that we would like to send it. And then the next question goes on with that one and says, It seems as if God doesn't care about me and doesn't answer my prayer. When I pray for one thing, it turns out just the opposite way. Why? And I must admit, I do say, Why me, God? I know you told me not to, but I do. How can I help not to do it? Well, this is probably the most difficult thing in the world. And I want to tell you something. It is easier to preach than to do. I have been afflicted with a kidney stone, which I have told you about. And I tell you, the doctors want to cut that thing out, and it's going to take a month off, and I have been to doctor after doctor, 
And even while I was preaching on this very subject to you, going through Romans chapter 8, where we should rejoice in tribulation, Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8, I tell you, God was really speaking to my own heart. Now, it is so easy when tragedy comes to say, why me? Now, that's going to be very natural for you to say that. But I take you back to Romans 1.21. That because knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave thanks. And I tell you, I had to come to the place where I thank God for this physical infirmity. I say, God, I don't want it, even as Paul did not want his physical infirmity. But then I have to realize, if God doesn't take it away, it's there for a purpose. And so by faith, I don't know what that purpose is for that kidney stone, and I don't know why you have to go through some tragedy, but the Bible makes it clear that they are for a purpose. They are to grow us in grace. So we come to Romans 1.21 and we say, Hey God, you're God. You have the right to do with me what you want to. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Move me and make me after your will. So I give you thanks in everything. Now, you may not really be sincere about giving thanks to begin with, but you'll notice that your heart will follow your lips when you do begin to give thanks. All right, honey, you have a closing word? I certainly do. You know, it's interesting, Ken. I guess each... Uh, family and each grandparent have certain things that they've gotten from their grandchildren. Our little grandson, Brett, says, don't want to. And so many times we, we go through something and we kind of kid each other and say, don't want to. And you've said that many times about this infirmity that you're going through. And we all feel we don't want to lots of times. And yet God says, I'm going to perfect you through this. And it isn't easy, as Ken mentioned. And yet God never takes us through deep waters to drown us, only to cleanse us. And we want to hear from you and we want you to write us today, the Bible Institute of the Air, Post Office Box 5000, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. We know these questions have blessed your heart, and you're going to want to pray for these dear loved ones, and I know you're doing it now, but write us. We're looking forward to that letter from you. You also mentioned the book that I wrote about suffering when I went through a terrible situation and was in intensive care for four days, and you might like to have this book why Christians Suffer, about 12 reasons why these things happen. So write for it. You know, I keep that, uh, that book at, booklet in my purse, Ken. I've used it so many times. Is your life a comedy or a tragedy? And just when you hand it to someone, they'll want to read it. So write us today, won't you? We're looking forward to that letter from you in order that it might be a summer hump and not a summer slump. Write us. We do need to hear from you today. We need, this is such a difficult month. We need your financial help, and we're not going to be able to stay on this station if we don't hear from you. So please let us hear from you. And we want you to go on the trip with us in November to Rome, to Israel, to Greece, to Jordan. Wonderful trip, right for that brochure. And remember, today's broadcast is number 227, which you may have for a love gift of $5. Cassette number 227. May God bless you richly, is my prayer. You've just heard another worldwide broadcast of the Bible Institute of the Air. 
We invite you to be a partner in this international ministry, both prayerfully and financially. Address your letter and send your gift to the Bible Institute of the Air, Box 5000, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. Please mention the call letters of this station when you write to the Bible Institute of the Air, Box 5000, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. And join us again for our next broadcast. This program is sponsored by the Bible Institute of the Air, Box 5000, Costa Mesa, California, 92626, and is supported by concerned partners in this area. It is Dr. Bishore's earnest prayer that through today's study, you have been able to find God's answers for your life's problems. Let me hear from you today. Your letter means so much to me. Until I hear from you, be a true soldier of Jesus Christ. of the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I found the answer, I learned to pray, with faith to guide me, I found my way. Welcome to another broadcast of the Bible Institute of the Air's radio ministry with Dr. F. Kenton B. Shore, pastor, author, and Bible teacher. Through the years, the Bible Institute of the Air has faithfully given practical instruction from the book of books, the Bible. And now to bring you God's answers for life's problems, here is the director of the Bible Institute of the Air and your Bible teacher, Dr. F. Kenton B. Shore. And greetings to you, dear friend, in Jesus' wonderful name. This is a very special day in the Bishore household because it is our 36th anniversary. Happy anniversary, darling. And happy anniversary to you, dear. <laughs> 36 years ago, I married the most wonderful woman in all of the world, and we've been married for 36 happy, wonderful years. Lois grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and I grew up and went through high school in Memphis, Tennessee. And through a course of events, she learned about Bob Jones College in Cleveland, Tennessee, and her dad thought it would be a good thing for her to go there and finish high school in her senior year. Because there are a lot of pressures in high school with the proms and everything, and her dad didn't want those pressures to be upon her. My folks felt pretty much the same way, and I learned that I only had one course to finish high school, and I could actually go as a freshman in college. So that appealed to me, and there came Lois Anderson from Detroit, Michigan, and here came Kenton B. Shore back in 1943, to Bob Jones College when we were just kids, 17 years old. Now they know how old we are. <laughs> <laughs> and there in the line of registering, I was registering in the 
college line, and Lois was across the room registering in the high school line, and I looked across that room, and I saw the prettiest little girl I had ever seen in my life. And I got out of the line and walked across that room, and I said to her, Hi, I'm Ken Beshore. What's your name? And she said, I'm Lois Anderson. And I said, I want you to know I'm going to marry you. And what did you say, honey? Well, I said, I wouldn't marry you if you were the last man on earth. And then I said, if I were the last man on earth, you'd have to stand in line. You can see we got off to a great start, can't you, friends? <laughs> ah, we got off to a great start, all right. <laughs> and I tried to convince you for two years that I was the person for you to marry. And I guess when you first saw me, I looked like something of a, maybe a conceited. Uh, is that the term you'd use, honey? I think well assured. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I had been singing in the Memphis Open Air Theater, and uh, I had been earning my way through high school singing in that opera, and I thought I was a pretty sharp guy, and I thought I'd just shake the tree and you'd fall right out. <laughs> but the fact that you didn't, that appealed to me. Well, all through our senior year, we dated, and I'd get a date with you whenever I could. And then, finally, through persistence, and of course the fact that it was God's will, because I always prayed for you, but I always prayed that it would be only in God's will. We fell in love, and we were engaged then, we got engaged, I guess, in about 45, didn't we? Yes. Uh -huh. And I gave you your ring. And then the next summer, we went up to your church in Detroit, Michigan, and were married August the 9th. 1946. 1946, 36 years ago. Now, that was a beautiful wedding. And uh, I remember you coming down the aisle on the arm of your father. I thought you were the most beautiful creature I had ever seen. And by the way, honey, I still feel you are. These are nice ladies. He wears glasses, though. <laughs> <laughs> then, when you came down the aisle and stood there with your dad, I sang because to you. And I never shall forget that. You looked at me so beautifully, and we were married, and we began this happy experience, wonderful venture of 36 joyful years together. And God has certainly been good to us, and you know, we just praise him for answered prayer. When I was first saved at the age of nine, I began asking the Lord to lead my life in a very special way. And you know, I always loved going to church. Even as a young girl, I had a heart for God, and I would go to church with my grandmother before my folks knew the Lord. It was amazing to me how I knew that God was going to lead my life, but I did not expect to marry a minister and how God wove the things together as I studied the Word of God and asked Him faithfully each day to lead me. And I really counted on that verse uh, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. And that's been Ken's and my verse through the years, and we're so grateful that He has. And then another verse that's really been a blessing to me is in John 7:17. 7, if any man or woman will to do, know my will, I shall know of the doctrine, whether I speak of God or whether I speak of myself. And I was 
I really leaned heavily on that verse because my folks did allow me the privilege of choosing where I went to school. And I really asked the Lord's guidance in that, and he led in a wonderful way. And you know, as we uh, were traveling down this road of life together, we'd like to share some very highlights that we feel have meant a lot to us. I think the first thing that we want to share is the fact that we were both saved and grew up in Christian homes. You were saved at the age of nine. Yes. And I was saved at the age of five and a half. And I knew God wanted me to be a minister. And I gave my life to the Lord to be a minister when I was just eight years old. And I'm sure, honey, you knew that God wanted you to serve him in some way, though you did not feel it was as a preacher's wife, but you had given your life to full-time ministry. Yes, and I was open to whatever he wanted me to do because I wanted to be in the very center of his will. And I claimed that verse that since I really wanted to be, that he was under obligation to show me what that will was. And that's been a blessing to both of us, hasn't it, Kim? It certainly has. And the fact that we went away to a Christian school was very, very important. Some have said that Bob Jones College is like a shoe factory. It takes in heels, fixes up their soles, and sends them out <laughs> in pairs. But you know, we were sitting around with a group of people the other day, and we were amazed at how many couples had met each other in Christian schools. And I do feel that one of the best ways to find a Christian mate for your life is in a Christian school. We are very in favor of the Christian colleges. Now, we were married, and I had prepared myself for the ministry. We had two years of college to go through, and we were married during those last two years of college. And then we went away to seminary, and we went up to Minneapolis, a very cold country. What a change it was from South Carolina to Minneapolis, where we went to seminary there, and you earned your Ph degree. Will you explain that, honey? Yes, that's putting hubby too. I'm sure most of you know that, but for those of you that don't, and I did work while Ken went to, to seminary and study and we pastored churches on the weekend. We would leave on Friday right after work and go up uh, about a hundred miles away in snow, slice, ice, and sleet and uh, call on young people and, and the members of our church alike and witness for the Lord there and stay until late Sunday night come back and go to work early Monday morning. But even then, we counted it a privilege to serve the Lord. And can I really believe that that's one reason among many, but one prime reason that our children are in the Lord's work today. Because even then, as we consider it now, a real privilege and opportunity to serve the Lord together with people who love Him. And you are partners. We feel that way with you today because we counted a privilege to serve him, and we feel that we were doing it together. Isn't that right, Ken? Amen. Then we, while in Minneapolis, became pastor of a large church there. Remember, I started pastoring when I was just 18 years old and pastored the last three years of college, and then all during seminary. And in Minneapolis, our first little daughter was born, whom we named Kenneth. Well, really, before Kenneth was born, Ken, we should say that God sent Mark into our lives, and we don't want to make it sound like God did not take us through deep waters many times. In fact, I remember very plainly that the uh, Mark's funeral was on Saturday, and on Sunday you preached, and you said God never takes us through deep waters to drown us, only to cleanse us. And I never shall forget that, even though it's been over 30 years ago now, and it's always been a blessing to me. 
when God 